Today's episode of the Fast Brackets podcast is brought to you by Winlight Bets. Winlight Bets is the fastest gaming action on earth using the fastest motorsport on earth. Go to the Winlight Bets Facebook page, like and follow to be up to date on all the latest information around gaming and your favorite sport, drag racing. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Guys, girls, today is episode number 95. It is the first week of April. It is not April Fool's anymore, so hopefully... Most, if not all of you, got through all the, oh my goodness, uh, April Fool's jokes. Nobody needs any of that. So uh, hopefully we got through that. That said, um, I may have uh, put a little April Fool's on everyone. I lied. I am not in the racing capital of the world. I said I was in Indianapolis recording this show, but I'm not. I'm not. I am on location. I am back in the motherland. I'm with the parents, uh, the original uh, Simmermaniac. The the old man, Roy Simmermaker, is having knee replacement surgery, and so I'm back at home helping mom and dad. Make sure it all goes well. Keep them organized. Uh, Make sure everything goes well, because we know how that can be. It can uh, be a little tough, so... Um, if you don't mind, uh, send a little note in the comment section there, the Facebook page, to let Roy Summermaker know you wish him well and a speedy recovery, so we're all banking on that. Need the crew chief back so I can get out there and uh, turn on some wind lights this summer. So, uh, you know, that's that's what we're doing. A little different recording setup. I think it'll be just fine because we've got producer Chris and all that making it sound right, but uh, on location this week which is kind of fun. Um, But hey, we are back at it now, and there is a lot to cover. There's a lot to cover since uh, we were with uh, together last. Uh, Let's see what uh, was happening that we should touch base on. First of all, the NCAA tournament just finished up. Uh, Man, if you are a Kansas Jayhawk fan, you've got to be screaming rock chalk right now. They won the NCAA men's basketball tournament, and it was incredible. Uh, guys, girls, I do not talk a lot on this show, and, and rightfully so, but I used to be a college basketball coach. Um, I, I coached for many years. A lot of the guys on TV this time of year are friends of mine, and I love that sport. Um, and you know, you know me, I can talk about a lot of subjects, but I am hard to get stopped if you get me rolling on college hoops. And man, it was unbelievable. The games were unbelievable. Uh, a little Mardi Gras action, so a little basketball Mardi Gras because they had 
the final four in New Orleans, which is always fun. Um, so if you if you watched any of that and you got down with some college hoops, I mean, let me know how, what you thought about that. We could go on. We know Brad Plord likes to talk a little college hoops. We know Luke Bobaki does as well. Um, if you're a college hoops fan, let me know because, uh, man, we could roll on that. And then they stuffed 70,000 people into that dome in New Orleans and no one was wearing masks for that game. So I, I think there was a, you know, the good news is COVID is over, right? COVID is clearly over. If you can roll 70,000 people, essentially the entire population of PRI, and you can put it into one room, COVID's over, right? I think we can all agree on that. The bad news is our chance, our chance as a sport to use that to our advantage is over also. So Good news, bad news with COVID being done. Well, at least if you believe the 70 GER that were loaded into the uh, the New Orleans Dome to watch college basketball over the weekend. So, um, all right, what else? Well, NHRA went four wide in Vegas. Not my cup of tea, but I get it. I get that uh, 40,000 horsepower loaded up on the chip is a good time, and so... You know, um, I'm hoping that we've, you know, kind of had our fill with that. Not not had our fill. That's not the right way to say it. But I think it's good for certain times in the series to do it. I wouldn't want it to be every single event. But, uh, you know, they did their thing and by all accounts went very well. Speaking of Vegas, F1 coming to Vegas. That is official now. Thanksgiving 2023. That should be incredible. I'm not a huge F1 fan. Uh, many of you are. I am not. Although the technological aspects of those car is fantastic, but they absolutely bring the action. And you know, I love Vegas. Uh, you know the rule: if you can get to Vegas, go to Vegas. Vegas is awesome. They put on an absolute show. That's why we go four wide in Vegas. That is the whole point of Vegas putting on a show. It's essentially adult Disney World, which, as it turns out, if you've been paying attention to the news, is not all that different from Vegas now. What I mean to say is uh, apparently Disney's been exposed as a bunch of pedophiles, and it is sickening. I don't love that at all, so I'm going to have to come up with a new phrase. It's not the adult Disney World. Help me out with that if you do not mind. That said, the F1 event in Vegas looks to be a great time. It is a great thing for motorsports because motorsports will be on display, and that is good news for drag racing. Uh, what else? Oh, Big Chief out in the Street Outlaws. That uh, flat-brimmed race master has had enough, I guess, of the most popular reality series on the Discovery Channel. Fact is, I don't get into that as much uh, simply because... Um, you know, from the fact that most, if not all, of the disagreements these dudes have could be settled or would not have happened in the first place if they would simply be at a track using a timing system. This all seems self-inflicted. All of the conflict, all the arguments, all the, you know, the fluff-ups and puff-ups, those all seem self-inflicted in my mind. Um, although it's not lost on me that part of the charm of that whole show is that they have these dust ups and that's kind of what draws people in. 
maybe even more so than the incredible cars that they drive. I mean, let's let's give them credit. They drive some badass cars, which is really cool. Um, but it's a lot of drama for me, so I do not get into it all that much because I don't. I'm not really a drama guy when it gets down to it. Either way, I am Team Big Chief. Uh, my first ride, and I still have it, is a 69 Firebird convertible, so I get the Pontiac Love. I'm very down with the Pontiac Love. Plus, I watched that dude bring his Cro-Mod to Indy for the U.S. Nationals several years ago, pull it in with a dually and a 20-foot, a 28-foot box, and go to work. My man was changing the bearings in between qualifying session and wasn't a hired gun. I give that dude a lot of respect. So whatever reason that he's ducking out, I'm probably on his side. Unless, of course, it's for a girl, then I would have a whole new dissertation for him about why you should never let a girl decide your career or your passions. Anyway, we'll just see what happens and where Big Chief picks up next. But I thought that was interesting. Guys, girls, we have two great guests for you today. First of all, Wayne Landry. He's a top dragster standout. He's currently number one nationally in the top dragster NHRA points. And uh, he he's comes on and talks a little racing with us. Great dude. I cannot wait to have you on, have you listen to him. Uh, and then Todd Ferguson, he is our residence odds maker and sharp. And he's going to talk about the PDRA favorites. And um, if you were to bet on them, how you should get down with that action. So guys, girls, get to doing whatever it is that you do while you're listening to the show. Make your commute, clean the shop, work on the old heap, but metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put this thing in the water box and talk about two really nice things at least in my opinion that happened here recently all coming from the association and division five um a couple really nice things first of all the nhra division five announced that they would go to 32 car fields this season really nice addition we've talked about this before on the show about how some of the divisions are have 48 car fields and how that skews things when it comes to points earnings and things of that nature standardization is key especially when you're competing for a national championship so when it comes to this this is a good thing having a 32 car field now you can make the argument now that there um, maybe won't be 32 car fields, and you know that's a whole different discussion in and of itself. That said, going to a standard 32 car field, we can only hope this increases and goes to other divisions. Um, part of it is maybe not qualifying. That's part of this class or these classes, and needs to be part of the excitement again. I mean, I think that if you talk to the older guys that have been doing this a while, that's initially what drew them in. And we'll talk a little bit later uh, with Wayne Landry, and we'll talk about his desire and uh, what motivated him a little bit. 
But the whole point of all this is that standardization is good, especially when we're talking about competing for national championships. So let's hope this permeates to other divisions, but I think that is a great move in D5. Also, uh, similarly, when it comes to standardization, so what they've said is um, another announcement said the first three pairs out are going to be the slowest car. So, for instance, given the fact that we are on a sportsman ladder, if we're going to take the uh, 16th qualifier and run it against the 32nd qualifier, those are, I would start, yes, um, that would be, they would be the first pair out. So the 32nd qualified car would be the first pair out, then the 31st qualified pair would be the second car out. And that just allows us to you know, get the show moving a little bit. And then also, and also if there's a little bit of track, uh, prep necessity, then we get it figured out with, uh, some of the slower cars and not the fastest car on the property when it comes to our classes. So I think that's, those are two really strong moves. Minor, minor. I mean, not huge. Didn't make big publication, um, you know, uh, media, uh, releases and things like that. And and one thing I will say is I'm not so sure why they're so secretive about the explanations behind these changes, but the releases, you know, in general are pretty Spartan when it comes to that. That said, it is good stuff on both fronts. And I think both make our classes better. So nicely done NHRA and specifically D5 out there in making the classes better. All right, let's put this thing in the beams presented by AFCO Racing Products. On with us now, a guy who is relatively new to the top dragster scene, but has made a huge name for himself already. He is a multi-time national event top dragster winner. Most recently, the Gator Nationals earlier this year. He is from St. Bernard, Louisiana. Please welcome to the show, Wayne Landry. Wayne, how are you today, my man? Doing good, Rex. Thank you very much. Man, you um, you have not been doing Top Dragster very long, but you've been doing it very well. Um, I mean, what, what made you, uh, you know what, stop for just one second. Let's go way back, Wayne. How did you start racing? I mean, you, uh, you're doing well, it now, but, uh, how'd you start doing this stuff? Man, I've been racing a long time. Uh, actually, uh, track racing. I started out maybe 35 years ago, racing a Camaro and it was a wheel hanger, you know? So when, when I bought the car, uh, it had the word no fear on it. So that's the, my, my, my trade name I keep on all my cars, but, uh, we started off with that and, um, just a lot of fun racing and, you know, I worked hard, uh, but raced every week if I could, you know, uh, and then uh, around 2018, I wanted to get into dragster. So I wanted to buy a dragster that was basically a bracket dragster. Tried racing IHRA. They quit having a class. And actually in, in Gainesville at, at uh, the Baby Gators in 2018, I couldn't qualify. So I went ahead and bought some uh, pro-charge engines from PAR out in Spartanburg. Uh, Carolina, South Carolina, and since then I've been racing seriously since 2019 in the top dragster class. 
Yeah, you said enough of not qualifying uh, Pro Charge to the <laughs> rescue, huh? Uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I told my fiance at the time, I said, you know what? When we when we left there, I couldn't qualify. I think my car ran like 710 or something like that at the baby gators and the bump was 689 after the first qualifying session. So I loaded it up in the trailer and I uh, said, you know what? We're never going to another race and not qualifying. So we, we bought a couple pro charging motors from par and we've qualified every time since then. Right. Yeah. And for our listeners, just, uh, if they're, if our listeners is geographically challenged as I am, we should tell everybody St. Bernard, Louisiana is, um, right where Katrina wiped everything out, right? That's uh, that's where you're home. So you had to rebuild everything, including your race car operation several years ago. That's correct. You know, the businesses, our homes, my race car, that's the only time I was out of racing for a year was uh, rebuilding my race car. I had to put all new skins, all new chassis work, roll cages and that because it was flooded. But, uh, yeah, we about 20 minutes southeast of New Orleans and Katrina devastated our parish a hundred percent so you know we had a, a lot to overcome uh during that year and i feel like you've done more than just strip racing i feel like maybe you know you've done a, a few other things uh you know just as long as there's a start and a finish line <laughs> yeah since i guess i could crawl you know when i was a kid we used to race many bikes and then when i grew up racing motorbikes and then i actually did motocross racing for uh dirt bikes and then uh three wheelers and of course you know not uh the untold story of all the street racing we did you know i had it started off with a cougar way back in the 70s and then uh and then my first race car was that camaro that i still have today uh well actually it's being rebuilt again as we speak because in november last year i hit the wall down in the mockley bracket racing with it so uh we uh yeah we've been and and also race boats too which i know is not a big interest to those people drag racing but uh it's a drag boat so it's a, a, a catamaran jet boat that's got a big engine in it you know but uh yeah i, I guess i'll race anything if it's you know float flies or rolls i'm ready to race it <laughs> i like it i mean not to get too sideways here but the the drag boats i mean they have a christmas tree and uh and they have an et and mile per hour for you you know in a time slip just like we do correct yes yeah 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 they're a lot of fun you know uh my boat is uh, is not it's not like a it's a conventionally blown uh 632 inch motor so it'll go like 139 in the eight mile but it it does the 139 probably in a 16th of a mile you know it just pure acceleration i like it those are a lot of fun Oh, that's, that's impressive. So yeah, you're, you were no stranger to going very fast and, uh, you said your, your Camaro and remind us what year is that Camaro that you, it's a, it's a 67 first generation Camaro. Uh, and it's got a little, uh, small block and it'll run 940 straight out, but it, it hangs the wheels about 175 (laughs) feet. You know, uh, it's just a fun car to ride. Alan Reinhardt, I raced it in, uh, super street and he's going to announce it when i go back and look at the thing and he goes i want to drive that car it's just a real fun car <laughs> you know <laughs> it uh, really is it's just a real fun car in fact i got to give a shout out to my buddy earl Foles, you know because he he loves that car and he's always after me to buy it you know but uh 
Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> we we love Earl. Earl Earl was a longtime friend of the show, and uh, yeah, can't wait to see him back out again. I think he's going to be out this year again, so I'm excited to he's, excited to call his name again. Yeah, he's waiting on some rides, a set of rides, and he'll be back burning up again. You know, right? So you've had this, you know, you got this uh, small block Camaro um, that uh, you know puts the wheels in the airs, and and that's a that's a bunch of fun. But at some point, you said, "I'm going to try my hand uh, with the dragsters, and specifically top dragster." What what was the you know what was the thought process in that? Because those are distinctly different cars, right? They are, you know, and I, I just I never had the time really. You know, it takes a, a lot of time to go run the circuit, IHRA and HRA, and I, I worked a lot, you know, and uh, so. When I re- got to retire, um, right around 2017, I think, is when I bought my first dragster. And um, I uh, basically was bracket racing it in the IHRA with that top dragster class. And uh, um, and then they what, got- happened, what happened there was, uh, I'm sorry, I, I, a text just came across my phone. And, <laughs> no uh, worries. It distracted me. But uh, <laughs> it's all right. But anyway, uh, I raced with IHRA, and then, you know, that was nothing to qualify that. The thing ran 450 at 160 miles an hour, and that was really always in the top half of the field. And then when they got rid of the class, I went to NHRA, and that's when I had to up my game, you know. But I always wanted to race uh, the drags, the class, because I like going fast, obviously. And, I like that, uh, you know, it takes a lot. You got to race both ends of the track when you're racing top drag stuff, as you know. You know, you got to cut a good light, but you also got to got to make sure you're running that finish line good, you know. And and it's a big challenge for me, and that's why I think it's so much fun going that fast and having that challenge, you know, the whole way down the track. It, right. I mean, and, and it's completely different than uh, the door car, right? I mean, it, just the oh, speed, yeah. I mean, different uh-huh. is... You know, it's a three second plus difference, and um, I mean, oh, a completely God, yeah. different, completely different feel. But uh, you've you've caught on to this thing, man. You've caught on quick. Well, I tell everybody I've been really lucky. You know, I mean, uh, I got lucky uh, in a lot of races, and um, you know, and a lot of times I'll tell you what we did find out. You know, I love the races. You can tell from my entire lifetime, but. Um, the friends we met along the way in the NHRA, just unbelievable friends, you know, all over the place. Too numerous to even mention, you know, but really, really good friends. And um, those guys are really good racers. That's a really tough class. And I'm going to tell you, Division Four, Mark Jones and all those guys, Darian, Aaron, Rusty, JR, all those guys are really tough. Ross and Holden. I mean, we, we, we have a, I think Division Four is the toughest division in hra these guys are all really great races which which is what i love i wouldn't want to be in any other division because it's so competitive and it's so challenging it's it's a lot of fun you know and uh it is different racing that fast but i'll tell you what's really different every once in a while and i guess the car count keeps getting lower i don't know exactly what all the reasons were for that but um you'll get a bunch of cars like my old car you know bracket cars and they run in seven seconds you run in mm-hmm. six ten that's a challenge because let me tell you when you got about <laughs> 50 miles an hour on somebody and you're trying to wheel race them at the end of the track when you're just catching them in the traps i mean that's a that's a challenge you know right 
I just like it, man. I really love it. I, I'm glad I'm I'm having the opportunity to do it. You know, I'm really, um, I'm just excited about that. I really enjoy going to races. Uh, my fiance and I go to as many races as we can. And I can tell you, if it wasn't for Ricky, we wouldn't even have near the success that I'm having. You know, she she really keeps me comfortable and calm before a race. You know, so I can concentrate. She packs my parachute, checks the air and the tires. I mean, it really, most of my success is due to her. You know, she's, she's just a huge help. And we're on the road a lot, obviously, because we're racing somewhere every week, year-round. <laughs> we're oh. not racing NHRA. We bracket racing that weekend somewhere. <laughs> I love it, yeah. And, you know, that, that that's a story we hear over and over again is, hey, you know, um, yeah, I, I drive it, but I've got good help behind me, whether that be – you know, uh, a wife or a crew chief or whatever it might be. And it sounds like, sounds like you've got a good one. Oh man, I, I got the best, believe me, the best. And not only that, you know, when we're at a track, I mean, all our friends, man, uh, if we have a problem, man, they're willing to, to give you the shirt off their back. And, and same with us, you know, we, we help each other out, man, we're nothing but good friends, good help. But yeah, my crew chief is the best in the business, bar none. <laughs> Yeah, well, you've uh, you've covered the help side there, um, and you mentioned that you have a pro charger. Uh, walk us through your combination a little bit. Okay, well, I, uh, it's a, a Scott Duggins out at Par Racing in Spartanburg, South Carolina, built the engines, and um, basically it's a 540 inch all aluminum engine. It's got the uh, the the race pro charger in it. I run the 120 gear set almost always. Right now, I'm running the 125 gear set in the pro charger. And um, it, it it really can make some power. I mean, we can run, uh, and I'll give you an idea, we went and tested out at uh, No Problem not long ago, and we had the small gear set in the, the Pro Chargers, 120 gear, and we was running 590. <laughs> you know, so wow. we, we always have trouble keeping the car slow enough, and I like to keep it somewhere in the middle of 610 and 620. So I, a lot of times you'll see me running the car, it'd be right at 619 or something. That way I can keep it slow enough when the weather changes, I can still dial the car. But, but anyway, it's a, uh, it runs on um, methanol. Uh-huh. Um, it's got a APD blow-through carburetor. I don't run EFI or the fuel inject stuff. I run a blow-through carburetor. Um, we run, a, with, with all that power, we run a level six transmission and a two-piece converter, both of them from FTI, which those guys are just unbelievable in, in being able to make, make all that power get transferred to the rear end. Uh, and we run a 411 gear set uh, in our rear end with the, with the transmission having 164 first gears. Uh, and it's a, a hardtail car built by American in 2016. This car was built. And... Um, it's it's a unique car. It has like hinges all from the uh, front of the cockpit all the way to the uh, to the front wheels, and it's got a slip joint at the front, a slip joint behind the seat. I mean, this thing has like 950 short times with a with a pro charger motor. It's just an amazing car, and I use Mickey Thompson tires on it, and Mickey Thompson has been a, a huge help, and they they sponsor us, and um, they really have a huge help and and that's 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 the combo in the car basically that's fantastic yeah i mean that that uh you know hardtail um slip joint has has worked for a long time and you know uh everybody has their own little opinions but man you've made you made that work for sure 
Yeah, it works good. You know, a lot of these tracks now, you know, the, the, the tracks, are, you know, like Atlanta being shut down and, you know, Houston possibly uh, is going to be shut down, not possibly, probably after mm-hmm. the national event, you know, and, and yeah. a lot of little tracks of clothing, which were really quality tracks, they're good to run hardtails on. Uh, some of these tracks now, if they're not managing them well, and I'm not going to say what tracks they are, you know, I'm sure they have problems while they're not doing it. But it's hard to run a hardtail nowadays, you know, because uh, running at those speeds, you know, we can run 235 to almost 240 if we want. Running at those speeds with a hardtail, you know, you need a smooth track. Gainesville's the track I love because it's like glass, you know. It's uh, yeah. But that's why a lot of cats have gone to the full length, you know. So get a little bit more. Uh, it's a lot safer, I guess, on a bad track, and it's a lot more uh, traction uh, uh, with a bumpy track. yeah no it makes perfect sense um you know that that's good and i appreciate you walking us through and like you say you you run the no fear logo um on the dragster as well as the door car right 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 i have the i still have my bracket dragster too and that one's got no fear on it too uh yeah, so that, everything we have is no fear. Only because when I first got my Camaro, that's what was on it. No fear. I and, got it. And of course, everybody that knows me tells me I don't have any damn fear, and I think it's because I don't have any damn sense. You know? I love it. But I just enjoy racing so much, you know. I mean, and and we have fun, you know. And like I said, you know, the NHRA has really been a great place of uh, good, clean racing. And a good, clean outing, you know, uh, lots of friends, lots of competitive racing. It's just really tight, you know. Um, and and I got I got friends that will tell you I don't have any sense like Robert Huggins. You know, he'll tell me that almost <laughs> on a daily basis, you know. But, uh, you know, it just come to mind thinking about it, you know. <laughs> I, I got you. I got you. Um, did, so let me ask you this then. Uh, have you set any goals for this year or do you have any – uh, specific plans to hit maybe a track that you haven't uh, been to previously? Well, um, we, you know, especially now with the fuel, the diesel fuel cost so high, you know, we try to yeah. uh, keep our uh, the concentric circle of from where we live close as possible on national events. Uh, our daughter's getting married for the, on the same weekend as the Ennis National, so I have to skip that one. So I'm going to have to venture out to a different uh a track for for a national than one that's kind of close to home so i'm not sure but our goal really to accomplish this year is more than selecting a track is, is um i just i think it'd be nice if we can stay in the top 10 you know uh nationally uh right now you know it's temporary obviously because it's early in the season but we're leading the division and we're leading the national points right now uh so you know uh, we'd like to finish in the top 10 i mean you know, in my second really full year, which I call uh, 2020, my second full year, we was fifth in our division and 11th in the world. So we, we, we're looking to get in the top 10. We got pumped out in the last race of uh, 2020 from the top 10. So we, we're looking to get in the top 10, and that that's our goal. Uh, as far as tracks, uh, we've been to pretty much all of the tracks in the central to the eastern part. I can't make them long drives to Vegas or Pomona, you know, I, I can't do it. That's just, man, for me, everybody knows me will tell you, I drive like four or five hours a day, then we stop and rest. So I leave early, you know, to get to a race. Smart. It'll take me a month to get to, to Vegas, you know. <laughs> so, no, I, I, I don't go west. Um, 
I got gotcha. you. Uh, I guess I would if my national, if I was in the points race for a national championship and I needed to go out there and be a blocker or something. But All other right. than that, I, I, I can't make those long trips. Yeah, I don't blame you. My my back doesn't like any of that stuff. I mean, I hear about these dudes, you know, going cross country, and it uh, it hurts me just listening to yeah. them talk about that. You know, yeah. um, you yeah, mentioned yeah. you mentioned that you know there's uh you know a dragster maybe that's dialed seven zero or you know seven ten or something like that. Does that uh, bother you in any way racing those guys? Well, you know, it bothers some people, you know, and I'm not going to say who it bothers and all that. It does bother some people. Um, it, it, I gotta say, it really doesn't bother me. I, I like the challenge of it, yep. but I can tell you that is, that is, I would rather race somebody if I'm dialing six fifteen. I want to race somebody that's dialing six something like 25 on down, you know, cause I, I can, I can better judge they're going to be running about the same speed as me but when you race one of them with slower cars like my bracket car man i gotta tell you that's a damn challenge because you got to slide in just right and you you, you know we're going so fast the inertia of the car we we've got to time it before we get there you know yeah, and it's for it's sure a challenge i actually like the challenge and i know i know um you know, people shouldn't uh, be in that class unless they fast and all that. But, you know, I, I, I'm very fortunate to be able to have the means to have purchased a fast engine, you know. So I'm, I, I, I will not allow myself to be upset when somebody gets in there with a seven-second car if they can't afford to go faster but they want to race. You know what I mean? I just That's just me. That's just my opinion on it. Uh, I'm good with it, you know. I don't care for it as much as I would like, but but I don't have a problem with it. It's just really more of a challenge. That's why people don't like it. Yeah, nobody likes racing something that's tougher, you know. But right. winning's not everything, you know. Having fun and and being safe—that's the most important thing. No, I love it. I think that's a, a great mentality to have, Wayne. And um, I appreciate your thoughts on that. Um, Hey, thank you so much for coming on. This was a, a great conversation. Uh, the whole Fast Brackets Nation wishes you well uh, for the rest of the season. Um, when, when's the next event for you? Well, we're sitting out here right now waiting to uh, stack at, at Houston for the divisional in Division 4. There's a, a division race this weekend in Houston uh, at, in Baytown, so that's where we're at now. And uh when we leave here, I think we're off for a week, and then we come back for the Houston Nationals in two weeks. So um, that's 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 what's next on the plate for us, and hopefully we keep the motor with the same number of pieces we left home with, you know? <laughs> right, so, uh, right. We come back and do it again, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, I appreciate your, 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 your inviting us on, and uh, it was a lot of fun, you know? Thank you so much. Yep. Uh, guys, girls, that was one of the all-time great dudes in Top Dragster, Wayne Landry, if you need him. Today's Half-Track Report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. For all your high-horsepower legal needs, hit up DragRaceLawyer.com. Ed Harney is your guy. He's one of us. He gets what we do, and he is on your side. Do not hesitate. Go on the keyboard. Hit DragRaceLawyer.com, 
and Ed will be there for you. Now listen, normally in this section, today's a little bit different. It's a little bit different today. I normally, I bring you all the action that has happened on the track. The winners, the guys and girls who were oh so close, and those who had days to remember. Getting it done, hoisting that trophy. But today, I need to take a step back from that action because Rick Stewart, longtime starter for the NHRA and maybe the only man who makes a straw hat look cool, passed away. So uh, RIP to Rick Stewart. He was the NHRA starter for 15 years, inducted into the International Drag Racing Hall of Fame, and... um, Man, it got me thinking about all the other guys and girls who all summer long work either the starting line or the water box or the ticket booth or call the show. Uh, Bob Unkforth, longtime caller in Division Three and others, is battling right now. All those men and women who work those long hours in the heat to make sure that our passions can become a reality. Um, And I thought for one time, we need to give them a little credit. Essentially, in this time when we usually talk about people who got it done, if it wasn't for these people, we, we wouldn't have the opportunity to do what we do. And I know, I get it, I get it. They get a paycheck and, you know, you could say, Rex, that's what the paycheck is for. I get all that, but come on, man. Uh, the people out there on the line, when it's 90 degrees on that concrete, the track temp gets 110, 120 degrees. They do it because they love it just like we do. If it wasn't for them, then we wouldn't get to do what we do. And man, it is, um, it's a lot of work. It is early mornings, it's late nights, and not a lot of breaks in between, and it's their weekend too, and man, uh, we as competitors sometimes take our frustrations about what we did behind the wheel out on them. I mean, uh, I think we've all done it, we've uh, you know all had um, you know times we wish we had back, and we want... We, you know, we want it to be a competitive environment so it's same for everybody or at least somebody else doesn't have an advantage and probably we've said stuff we wouldn't, you know, we'd like to take back. But all the people, the starters, the people on the in the water box, in the ticket booth and, and behind the mic, man, give them credit, man. Let's uh, let's just take a quick moment to reflect and, and uh, you know, maybe take a time out of our day the next time we're tracked to just go thank them. And I know a lot of us do. A lot of us do, you know, give them a water bottle or whatever it might be. Uh, but man, there's a lot of people that go into the sport and not everybody is doing it behind the wheel. So let's take a minute just to, first of all, to reflect on the greatness that was Rick Stewart. Uh, but also, let's give some credit to those, um, you know, while they're living this season, to those that are doing it now. Uh, so that we can do what we do. Ultimately, showing respect to those that continue making sure we're able to get down the track is the best way to show respect for Rick. 
Um, also, he wouldn't want us to do any burn downs. Just saying. Whoa, let's get out of the groove for just a minute and bring on a guy I've had a, a lot of fun having conversations with over the years, uh, specifically talking about uh, the elite top sportsman division, but in general terms, drag racing. Um, and I'm going to refer to him as our in-house sharp and or odds maker to talk PDRA racing this year and what we can expect as we kick off the season here coming up this weekend. Please welcome to the show Todd Ferguson. Todd, how you doing today, my man? I'm good, Rex. How are you? I am excellent. I am excellent and um, happy to have you on because what I know you to be, and I'll let the you tell the listeners a little bit about your background, but what I know you to be is a man who digs into the data a little bit and so uh, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what we can expect in the PDRA this season, um, and specifically on the top sportsman, elite top sportsman side. Okay. Well, first thing I'd probably tell anybody is I am not a racer, never have been a racer, and probably have only sat in a race car a handful of times. But um, I, I do go and take photographs at the races, and... Uh, Whenever I have a dog in the hunt, um, I pay more attention than uh, if I don't have a dog in the hunt. And my background is sort of in uh, computers and engineering. So, you know, I like to kind of look at data and, and look at the numbers behind things. And, and we should tell people this. Uh, you're also a father of Dan Ferguson, uh, standout, former world champion. But you also did this you made sure when we had that first all three second elite top sportsman field you made sure to organize the group and get a get a commemorating picture of that yeah i wasn't able to be at that race but i you know i knew gary would uh, gary Rowe would be there and so i uh texted gary and said hey you know line these cars up and let's get a let's get a shot of this because this is a historic once in a once in a lifetime first Right. And, you know, a lot of people get focused on records, and records are cool, but records end up getting broken eventually, it seems like. So it, I've always felt that the, the cool things are firsts and championships, and probably along with that, you know, winning races. So those, those are really the, the hard, hard things to do. Right. Right. Yep. Um, well, with with that said, I know you've thought about this a little bit and dug into it. Um, what does the Fast Brackets podcast resident odds maker think of this year's field in elite top sportsmen as we kick off PDRA this year? Well, I guess to put it to put it in a word or two, I think it's going to be tight, and I think it's going to be uh, awesome, awesome racing. Um, you've got you've got some new guys coming out, which it seems you have every year a few new cars that show up, and maybe you have a, a few guys that don't show up any longer for whatever reason. So there's sort of a, a little bit of a change every year in who's there and who's competing. But you also, uh, I think this year, are going to see as fast a fields as ever. And I really think by the end of the year, you're going to see a bump that's, in the 380s. 
You think you think so? You think we're gonna have a bump in the three eighties at the end of the year at some point? Yeah, I really do. I mean, looking over the data from the last, uh, let's say from two thousand nineteen uh, up to now, um, you know, I think the fields are getting faster uh, this year. You're gonna have a, a handful of cars show up that haven't competed much in the last year or two in PDRA elite top sportsmen. And uh, I think people are just ready to really bring it. So I think you're going to see, uh, you know, fast, fast runs, um, fast speeds and low, low bump numbers right from the start. It's, it's hard to argue against that. I mean, it really is because you, you just see the, the guys that have either improved their programs over the winter or brought out new rigs entirely and everybody knows if you're going to to compete in that class um you know a 40 car doesn't do it anymore which is shocking but it is i mean it's it's the state of the world right you you better have uh promod esque type numbers um if if you want to make sure you qualify after time yeah i mean it to me it's really turned into sort of purpose built cars almost to run elite top sportsmen um, there's not a lot of other places you can take that car and run it. Um, you can run it, I guess, like Glenn Butcher uh, does in uh, PDRA and in NHRA. But uh, even there, I mean, he's really detuning it to, to run NHRA quarter mile. Right. Um, you know, you've got experienced, top-notch drivers. I mean, many of these drivers have won multiple championships. Um, you've got experienced crews. Um, and you know, looking at, looking at the numbers, you've got anywhere from 20 to 35 cars, uh, that are going to come and try to qualify during the course of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, just last year, or well, in 2019, uh, which goes back to a, a little bit slower field, probably we had 35 cars that tried to qualify all year in 2020 with COVID, we had sort of an abbreviated participation we went down to 22 but in 21 we went back up to 32 cars that came out and tried to qualify that that's all season long right that's uh that's the whole uh gotcha but man when you talk about yeah when you talk about a 16 car qualified field that's that's pretty substantial i mean i think that's and i don't have the data in front of me my guess is that's better than pro stock uh is getting in the nhra side and that's a pretty substantial field yeah, it is really. It is, and uh, you know, it's it's back to really meaning something. I think to qualify for the race at this point, because I I think you're going to see guys running low to mid three nineties that aren't going to aren't going to get into sixteen. <laughs> and uh, I mean... you know, in, in my mind, you better be able to run a three ninety if you want to if you want to be pretty sure of qualifying for every race. I mean that's that's pretty staggering, isn't it? I mean to think where we were just even a few short years ago, a, a three ninety might not qualify you. That, uh, that yeah, is, uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. What do you think you attribute well, all I mean, that I, to? I remember, I remember uh, back in probably about twenty eleven or twelve, Dan took his car up to Farmington Dragway here in North Carolina, and. Uh, Clyde Howard was driving the Williams uh, Mustang in Pro Mod, 
and mm-hmm. he went at 390. And I mean, I think Dan was running 370s maybe then. And I was just blown away, you know, being relatively new to drag racing that, you know, wow, this car just ran a 390. And now here we are maybe 10 years later and, you know, elite top sportsmen, most of the cars can run 390s. And right. So it's really, it's really turned into pro mods bracket racing in a sense. Yep. Which which makes it really tough to win rounds. I mean, because these cars are so dialed in, and and the uh, the drivers and the you know the tuners are so so good. I mean, it's 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 pretty impressive and makes it tough to get wins. I mean, so when we're talking about you know uh, an eight race series, we're talking about how to accumulate points. Man, it it. You know, it, it's hard to get wins, and when you do, man, like, it, it means something, right? Every single round is incredibly important. Yeah, they are. And, I, I mean, I think in a lot of sports we get the idea that, well, the early games or the early rounds of racing aren't as important as the, as the later rounds. But in some respects with, with drag racing, I think the earlier season rounds are maybe more important than the later season rounds, at least for the average driver. Um, you know, it, it's it's really a very data-driven sport as I see it. And these guys are capturing a ton of data. They're looking at this data and trying to figure out what does it mean. And then how do they make that data an advantage to their team and get results? So, you know, that's in some respects, I think, kind of a differentiator is the technology is available to all the racers if they have the money. And I think most of these guys have the money or, or find a way to do it. Sure. But it's who can take advantage of that technology and use it the best that has the best chance of coming out on top. Now, given all that, I still look, look at each, each round and each race within that round as sort of a coin flip because these guys are good enough to step up and, and beat you anytime if you slip even the slightest amount. For sure, right? I mean, every single competitor is capable of doing it. Um, we're looking at, the, you know, you look at the point series from last year. There were, uh, looks like there were 14 people that dedicated the series. You know, they went every single uh, time out. And, and you don't right. do that unless you think you can get it done. But it, it's an interesting point you made about the data and how important it is to win early. You know, we, we always tell kids... We tell kids, hey, listen, uh, get an A early in the class because it's easier to keep an A than it is to try to bring a C up, right? That That is kind of an age-old exactly. adage that way. And it, and it sure feels like the same way in the PDRA for uh, their series or even divisionals. I think, you know, from the NHRA side, very similar uh, in their kind of uh, shortened schedule that way it's if you can win early it feels like it's easier to keep the a keep an a than it is to trying to bring a c up to an a right um and maybe it's all goes into it motivation and and uh confidence and all the things that go into that well little little short story in 2015 dan won the championship in, in 2014 and the first race was in dallas dan went to dallas and won that race and basically grabbed the points lead and, and held it about the first half of the year. 
And then sort of in the middle of the season, he hit a point where he couldn't get past first round. But he still was able to stay within um, a few rounds of Ronnie Davis. And then Dan crashed his, his Firebird at Norwalk uh, a few weeks before the PDRA World Finals. And Ronnie was gracious enough to offer loaning him his backup car. And uh, in the meantime, Dan had been working with his friend Dale Pittman to put together the Corvette, the black Corvette, which he raced then in 16. And they ended up bringing that to the world finals and they ended up qualifying. But in order for Dan to have a shot at winning, he would have had to win that race, I think set a, set a world record, and I think Ronnie would have had to go out in the first or second round. So it was it was pretty much a mathematical uh, impo- and performance impossibility. Sure. And so, yeah, there's there's just you reach that point where you run out of rounds to catch people. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what's interesting about um, I sort of have studied the numbers enough to say that I look at if you can win 12 rounds in a season, you should be in the hunt for the championship. If you win 16 rounds, you should have won the championship. And if you win 20 rounds, you've run away with the championship. Interesting. Okay. So there's, there's 48 possible rounds, right? I'm doing that right. Four rounds, eight. uh... No, there's only four. There's only four rounds each race. So there's eight races, uh, 32 32, 32 possible rounds. 32. Yeah, I knew I was yes. doing the math wrong there. Thanks, Todd. So 32, and if you can, if you win 12 of those 32, you're in the hunt. And if you if you win, you know, 16, you know, half of all those races, you you know, uh, possibilities, then you you got a chance to you should, you know, be right there, right? Yeah. That makes sense. Yes, yeah, so if you if you average two rounds per race, you should win the championship hands down. Man, that's a uh, th- that's kind of an interesting way to think about it. I mean, to to think, hey, if I, if I can just go to the semis every round, which is seems simple, right? Easier said than done for sure. But but yeah. man, like, uh, but yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, and so so that's what the the data tells us is that uh, twelve rounds you're in the hunt, and and sixteen pretty much uh, gets it there, and then twenty just. Uh, makes uh, everybody kind of uh, go, man, uh, congratulations to him for having a great great year. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the 16-car qualified field, half the field is gone after the first round. Sure. So half of the, half of the field gets no, no round wins. Three-quarters of the field is out after the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, can, if you can get a round win in that first round, um, that's better than half the field is getting. That's a it's it's so interesting too because I mean if you think about other sports when you're watching it it's easy to go hey you know what all right the first quarter uh, I'm still you know uh, working on the honey do list for the wife I'll I'll tune in in the third and fourth quarter when it gets really exciting you cannot do that with drag racing because you know of what you just said hey the first round is just as important as the final round. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for an example, um, you know, Dan's won about one out of every 11 races he competed in in PDRA so far. Okay. Um, 
So he has three win, three three event wins total, but he also has two championships and a second place in the championship hunt. Okay. So that just tells you that you know, winning winning races is good. And when I look at the the data, if somebody wins a race, they should probably automatically be considered in the championship hunt assuming that they're trying to go follow the whole series and assuming that they qualify at all events win a race and can average a round win at the other races they should be in the championship hunt and that doesn't sound that hard when you say it but it's it's darn hard (laughs) right right yeah there's no doubt um well given that um, and the fact that, you know, you, you've looked at this a little bit now we can't do it. There's no legal way to bet on drag racing right now, but if you could, and we were going to bet on who was going to win the, the series elite top sportsman championship, give me, give me three names that you think stand out to you as uh, maybe somebody that, you know, you think have a chance to be hoisting that at the end. Well, let me. Let me, rather than focus on on names, because I think in order to be fair, I would have to give you about eight or ten names. <laughs> okay. Because I literally think at, at, at the beginning of the season, there's probably 10 to 12 people that have a, a, a good shot to win. Okay. But let me just kind of give you some criteria. So I'd say one is that they run all the events. That's critical. I don't, yep. You can't afford to skip a, events here, because I don't think there's anybody that can go out and run the first race, skip two races, and say, well, I'll just go back and win the fourth race. Right. I'll be good. For sure. Um, just just not going to happen. Um, I think if, you, if you've been a past champion, you've probably got a little bit of an advantage because you've just you've, you've gone through the, the gauntlet and gone through the fire, so to speak. You know, sure. You have a, a, better, a little bit better idea of what it takes. Yep. Um, crew knowledge and experience, I think, is very important. And most of, a lot of these guys have, you know, crews and people working with them that they've raced with for quite a while. Um, you gotta, you gotta try to cut consistently good lights because these guys will cut down the tree on you and they'll run the number. Mm-hmm. And that's to be one of the most amazing things about this particular class is just how well these guys do at running the number. Yeah, that's uh, um, the run in the number is the price of entry, right? That is that is the you got to do that. That's just the price of entry if you ever want to win. But and then cutting the light is really the kind of determination, right? That that's the difference maker a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, if you have a bad light, chances are these these guys are going to step up and beat you. Yeah, yeah, there's um, no doubt. You know, because they're, they're usually going to get down the track. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 just as simple as that. Um, you know, I think if you look at the people who t- finished in the top three or top five in the past three or four seasons, uh, those would, would probably be good names to look at. Uh, but we've got some new and returning runners this year, too. Uh, you got Glenn Butcher coming out. You potentially got Bo- Brian LaFlam coming out. With a new Jamie car. Fowler probably going to be back out. Yep. And you got my son Dan going to be back out, uh, at least for some of the races. I'm not sure if they're going to run the whole series yet or not. So, you know, those are those are people too that are that are, you know, gonna go out there and compete hard. 
But I think if I, I had kind of pick out one person maybe that, that sort of I'm going to keep an eye on, I think is Erica Coleman. Okay. Because I think Erica is, is right sort of on the edge of breaking through. And really doing, really doing some. You caught me off guard, uh, Todd, because I shouldn't. So Erica's been on the show. She was phenomenal. I cannot remember what episode, uh, so I'll have to put that in the show notes, guys. But uh, yeah, Erica was on the show, and um, yeah, I I get that. I get that because she can really drive. Yeah, yeah, I think she's. You know, if I look at look at the past few seasons and 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 just sort of the trends. If I go back to to twenty nineteen. She finished fourth, and she only won five rounds, but she won the last race. Right. Yep. So, I mean, she had a lot. The first three races, she didn't win any rounds. She did qualify. The fourth race, she won one round, and then she went back to not not uh, winning any rounds, and then she won, stepped up and won the last race. Right. And so she only had five round wins for the year, but that was good enough to put her in fourth place. Scott Moore won 2019 with 12 round wins. Tim Molnar and Randy Perkinson, who finished second and third respectively, each had six round wins. So, I mean, if you look at 32, 32 possible rounds and six wins of a round gets you second place. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of amazing. Crazy. Yeah, that's amazing, right? I mean, and you try to not think to yourself, okay, I don't want to celebrate, right? When I get a first round or a second round win, but when you when you look at it in those terms, you go, hey, we really put ourselves in position at that point. Like you can, you feel pretty good about, uh, you know, going home uh, after losing the semifinals, man, all those times. And, you know, that that's an interesting way to look at it. I don't think many people do because drag racing is a sport of losing a lot uh, when you think about it. I mean, you win or lose a lot more than you win. But, uh, man, it's uh, that that's really fascinating to think of it that way. Yeah, and in, in 2021, Erica finished third in points, and um, she only won eight rounds. <laughs> yeah right so Thanks. by winning uh you know a couple more rounds she moved up a spot but um she didn't she didn't win a race she ran she run it up in two races yeah yeah but uh um, in 2021 but you know she's that's that's right there you're you're in the you're in the finals no that's so, a it's a good yeah, call it's a it's a coin flip yeah, it's a good but, call. You know, I think, you know, any past champions, too, are, are good to watch. I mean, Donnie Urban, Buddy Perkinson, mm-hmm. um, just just any of them. I mean, they can they can step up. And there's, there's you know, other people that are out there that can, can step up. And if you get on a roll and you can, can keep getting past round one, um, you got a shot. No, it's a, it's a great point. And I think it'll be fun this year because there will be some new cars that come out. Um, you've mentioned some, uh, you know, people that have kind of, um, but you know, unveiled it a little bit, but there'll be some people that, um, you know, roll out some cars, maybe even middle of the year or just a little, or haven't, uh, haven't shown that they've got a new car yet or any updates over the winter. And, and so that'll be exciting to see that too. Excited. Who was his new, 
new and uh, going to go after it. On the top dragster side, just because we don't want to ignore that completely, um, that that could get pretty interesting again. I I know you know if I had to pick one, I would say obviously we've got the the names. You know Peter Maduri, um, you know Kellen Farmer. I think you know those those uh, people. You know they've been there. They're champions. Uh, but Kathy Fisher, I think has a chance. Um, I know she's going to put a concerted effort to that and I wouldn't shock me if she has a great season as well this year. So, um, the top dragster side, I think is going to be equally as fun. Um, although, you know, Todd, you and I are door car guys. So, you know, we, we certainly root on the, uh, top sportsman side a little bit more. Yes, absolutely. I, I just don't follow the top dragster side as closely. But I, I agree the the when you mentioned top dragsters, the name on the tip of my tongue is Kathy Fisher. I think if she starts going rounds, watch out. Right. Watch out. Yeah. And for sure. you know, you've also got, you know, people like uh Jody Stroud, um that may come back out. Um trying to think of some other ones. Um, yeah, I mean I'm just I'm kind of at a loss without a list in front of me. Sure, yeah, but, no, that's uh, there's there's definitely some some people over there that'll step up and make it just as interesting a series too. I, I completely agree. I, I'm I'm so excited for the PDRA to get kicked off this season. And um, Todd, appreciate you coming on and uh, giving your insights and thoughts on what maybe this season looks like, um, especially on the elite top sportsman side. And, uh, man, uh, if you don't mind, come back on at some point later in the season and uh, help us out. I mean, you know, give us give us the odds maker. What we're going to do, I think, um, is put together something, and I'll, I'll have a little more detail on the Facebook page and, and then also in conse- uh, further episodes. But I think what we'll do is we'll kind of do some type of fantasy league for this. Um, where you can pick a couple drivers to win and get some points based on what they do. I think that would be a lot of fun to do on the top sportsman and top dragster elite side for PDRA this season. And so um, you as listeners, uh, pay attention to the Facebook page uh, because that's where a lot of the detail will get out, uh, at least uh, in writing. And then I'll talk a little bit more about uh, episodes down the line. But I think that's what we'll do. I think it'd be a fun thing to do to have kind of a fantasy league this year. Don't you, Todd? Yeah, I think that would be fantastic. And, you know, maybe we can get some more people who aren't racers but are fans uh, interested in, you know, following the drivers and analyzing the numbers a little bit more. Um, it's just it's just something I kind of naturally do. But uh, I think it I think it could be an interesting thing. And we'll never get where the, anywhere near the kind of data that the NFL has. But uh, – we can make our own uh, fun sport out of it, I think. Oh, for sure. And I sure. appreciate the opportunity to, to be on with you, Rex. Yeah. Uh, Todd, thanks so much for coming on. Um, you know, we'll we'll follow up with you later in the season as we as we dig into our, our fantasy league and all that stuff. But uh, thanks for coming on and giving us a little bit of a preview. Guys, girls, uh, that is the great Todd Ferguson if you need him. As we hit the mile per hour cone today, we got to talk about my man, our man, the great Dan Parker. Dan, you may have 
uh, caught him on episode number 50. If you haven't, if you have not listened to Dan Parker's episode, go back. Stop right now. Go to episode 50. If you've not heard that, man, do that now. His journey is amazing. He is, uh, I mean, just an incredibly qualified racer, um, had a horrific crash at an event, and simply has not let that stop him from driving a race car. He says it all the time. If you've ever talked to Dan, he said you can either make excuses or make it happen. And what he made happen was a Guinness World Record. He now holds the title for the fastest speed for a car-driven blindfolded, which is somewhat comical. Dan is completely blind, um, so not exactly correct. But um, he'll take that title, I suppose. Um, But uh, Dan set a new speed record of 211 mile per hour um, at Spaceport America in New Mexico. Uh, That previous title was held by a gentleman in the United Kingdom that went an average of 200 miles per hour in 2014. So Dan shatters that thing, Uh, goes an 11 mile per hour more than what um, they did, you know, eight years ago. And man, congrats to Dan. Like he has been working his tail off for that. And uh, it's just a it's just a well deserved honor for Dan Parker. I'm so happy for him. Um, it is you know one of those things where he took he took what was an incredibly tragic event, um, a crash that was just horrific. It took his eyesight, and he turned it into a journey that has inspired millions. And not many of us can say that. We've all had ups and downs. Um, I certainly have, and I know a lot of our listeners have. But not to Dan's extent. And, man, you talk about a guy who was in the valley and has climbed the mountain book, mountaintop now. Give Dan Parker some credit. He's He just tells an incredible story. A great dude. I probably should have him back on to talk about going through the process of earning that title, earning the Guinness World Record for the fastest speed for a blindfolded man. Uh, Not technically accurate, but we're going to allow it uh, to let him tell his story because he was great the first time on episode 50. If you have not heard that, go back and check that out and give Dan Parker some credit for Man, having the fastest time ever for uh, you know for somebody who is not visi- physically able to see. 211 miles per hour. Uh, nice work, Dan Parker. All right, let's bring this thing back in. Let's take a peek in the other lane. Let's do it. Let's take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode 95. And there it is. There is the win light. (laughs) Yeah, that's the win light, baby, right there. And the photograph. Photograph. Nicely done, producer Chris. Yeah, um, you know, going back to that conversation about the photographers as well, man, we need to give them a little credit for uh, helping the whole sport out as well. I like it. Photograph. 
Way to pick me up, Chris. Nicely done. We had a great week this week. Really, we truly had a great week. We had great guests. Wayne Landry was phenomenal. Todd Ferguson, phenomenal. Thank you both for coming on, uh, helping us get this thing done. Guys, girls, if you have comments, questions, or curse words, you know there are three ways to get at me. Uh, First of all, you can hit me up on Facebook page using the Messenger. Um, You can uh, see me doing all kinds of weird stuff, probably at the homeland, the motherland this week, uh, getting the house organized. Uh, So you can send me a pigeon there, or you can use the email fastbrackets at outlook.com. Guys, girls, I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe. Excited about the new sponsor. Uh, we sure been working on that project for over a year now. Um, excited to put it together and bring them on board. Yeah, that that was really the the future, man. Like when you talk about revenue for our sport, which is what all these cars run on, right? These cars run on dollar bills, man. They don't run on fuel; they run on dollar bills. And we're talking about bringing a revenue to our sport that we haven't seen in decades. And man, I could not be more excited about it. And the data, the data that is coming from the sports betting world, that's coming from uh, all the major sports books show that all of sports betting is going to be incredibly excited about betting on drag racing. And for that, man, we are in the driver's seat and, and really in a position to propel the sport like we haven't done it in a long time so it's it's exciting times man it's exciting times today's episode of the fast brackets podcast is brought to you by winlight bets winlight bets is the fastest gaming action on earth using the fastest motorsport on earth go to the winlight bets facebook page Like and follow to be up to date on all the latest information around gaming and your favorite sport, drag racing.